Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. We're in Luke chapter 16 this morning, and we are doing a, the, uh, a sermon series called the Follow Me series, which is the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we've been going through the four Gospels, and uh, we find ourselves in Luke 16. We've been in Luke 16 for, this will be the third week, and uh, it's been a, uh, an incredible, uh, insightful chapter. It's, it, again, it's one of those chapters that, you know, if you really um, are seeker sensitive, you're going to skip Luke 16, right? Because it's talking about money, and then it's talking about hell. But it really, the whole context and, and the content of Luke chapter 16 is all about eternity. It's about Jesus trying to get the, the eyes of his disciples. He began, if you go to back to Luke chapter 16, verse 1, he said to his disciples, he began talking to his disciples about eternity. He told them, look, you have resources that you've been entrusted with. Make sure that you invest those resources in eternal things. Don't get, don't invest on the, in the earthly things that won't, uh, that, that, you know, um, moth will eat up or whatnot. Don't invest in those things that are temporary because they won't translate into eternity, but use the things that you've been given. You are a steward of them, by the way. There's accountability for those things and use those things to um, propagate the kingdom of God and that those things will translate into eternity for you. After Jesus had this, began to talk, teach his disciples that through some parables there, Luke chapter um, 16, verse 14, the, the Pharisees who were there in the crowd talked to Jesus, or they, they kind of snubbed Jesus on the concept of money because they had their own ideas about what, how money should be treated, that it was really a, a evidence of their, of their righteousness before the Lord, right? Because God blessed them financially, so they're, shoes in, they're shoeing for heaven, and that's not the way it works. God doesn't, you know, God told them in Luke chapter 16, 13 that don't make money your God. You can't serve God and money. So you have to be careful about the resources that God's given you, that you don't start to make them your, your God and serve them rather than serve him. The Pharisees, they were lovers of money. And so that's why they began to ridicule Jesus. And Jesus began to teach them about the reality of money. And, and the fact of the matter is that they are not righteous by the law. That's Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. We talked about that last week. They were re religiously rebelling against Jesus' words. Religiously, their own belief system, not the word of God, but their, their um, perverted uh, version of the word of God, and their added to the word of God kind of thing, where they put a bunch of rules in place, their perversions of God's word, they were rebelling against the words of Jesus himself. And, I, and, and so oftentimes we do that when we have God's word before us. And we don't like what it says. We religiously rebel against it. So that doesn't fit in my belief system. So I'm going to reject that. But this is the word of God. This is his word. This is what we submit to. It has the authority in our life, not what we think. And not, not whether or not we like what it's saying. Right? And so... Uh, Jesus now will turn his eyes to eternity and give us a glimpse into eternity. He wants to show us the reality of what he's been talking about thus far in Luke chapter 16. And like I said, the first part of the chapter, he's, he's dealing with the stewardship issues 
of finances and how we're supposed to use our time and talents and finances to invest in the kingdom of God. And now he's going to show us what that looks like in eternity. He's going to give us a glimpse. So stand with me if you would, please. And we're going to read Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being torm in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger into water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted uh, here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you might not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced by someone who should rise from the dead. And Father, we thank you once again for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to see what you want to say to each one of us this morning. You have a word for us. Everyone in this sanctuary, you're, you're going to speak through in this passage, and I pray we would have ears to hear you, Lord. This is not a game. This is about eternity. And you care for us so much. You love us so much that you'll be honest with us. And so, Lord, may we be honest with you this morning. May we stand before you with the desire to know you deeper and to allow you to work in our lives as only you can. We lift this up to you. We ask you to help us see the insight that you desire for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you would say that um, you really don't think that much about eternity? And I'm not looking for the, oh, I think I'm in church, I better say that I think about eternity every day. Don't even raise your hand, but, but I want you to answer that question in your own heart. How much time do you really spend thinking about eternity? Like if you had a bar graph, and you had your life, the last week, the last month, the last year, and you could divide it out and say, I spend this much time thinking about eternity, how much time would that be? My guess is not very much. My guess is not very much because we are under this false impression that 
although eternity exists and we all realize that one day we will step into it, we think it's a far off. We think that we have time. And we're showing day in and day out that that is not true. That is deception. We don't have time. We don't have time. There are people that wake up in the morning that get in their car to go to work that don't come home that night. But they thought they had time. Jesus wants us to focus on eternity every day. And the way that we do that is we live for Him today in this world. And in doing so, we're focusing on eternity. But so oftentimes, if you're anything like, with, like I am, you get sucked into the day-to-day -day activities of this world and you forget about the mission that you're on. You forget that, that you're on an eternal mission to speak to those around you. Like it's not a coincidence that you work where you work, that you shop where you shop, that you have the friends that you have. None of that is coincidence. That is designed and been orchestrated from the foundation of the world for you to be a voice box for the Lord and in this day and age. But if you're like me, you get sucked into the day-to-day -day and you forget. Even in ministry, it's easy to get sucked into busyness and forget about eternity. Oh man, I got to do this, this, this and today. And, and you know, you got somebody hurting over here, but you're going to pray for them. But you're not really thinking about eternity because you got all this stuff to do. If you're with me, raise your hand because you are. We all do this, right? No, I'm the only one apparently. <laughs> We're... <laughs> Jump on the bus with me, please. But, but uh, we all do this. And it's under this false, false impression that we have time. Can I tell you what the Bible says about our time here on earth? I think you know, but let's just go over a couple verses real quick. James chapter 4, verse 14. What does it say about time? It says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Doesn't sound like we have a lot of time. I like the translation that says we are but a vapor. You know what a vapor is? It just appears and it's gone. You, it doesn't linger around. It's just here and gone. That's our life. The psalmist said in Psalm 144.4, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Doesn't sound like we have a lot of time. Psalm 39, 4 through 5. O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, a couple spans of your hand. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath, Selah. Think about it. Meditate on that for a second, he says. Your life is here and gone so fast. We don't have time. And yet we are deceived in thinking that we do. Jesus wants to put our minds on eternity. As Colossians 3.3 says, set your minds on things above and not, on this, not of this world. Be focused on eternity. This was illustrated very well for us. Actually, let, let, me, let me say this first. That's why the Bible also teaches us as it relates to time to number our days. Because we don't have a lot of time. 
Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Lord, help me to know that I only have 24 hours in a day, and although I have to do my duties here on earth, I have to provide for my family or whatever it is, I have tasks that are involved. Help me to still focus on eternity while I'm doing what I'm doing. That's what the psalmist is saying. We don't check out and just talk about Jesus at our job and get fired. No, we demonstrate the gospel in our lives in the way that we work, in the way that we interact with people, all of those things, with the idea of focusing on eternity. Sometimes I think it just happens with no focus whatsoever of us. It's, it just happens, you know, the Lord brings somebody into your path because he planted you there. And so if we would open our eyes and see the opportunities that are availed to us all around, if we would focus on eternity, if we would number our days that we might walk in wisdom. Again, as I said, this was illustrated beautifully in a recent movie that I saw with, uh, about a man named Chesley Solenberger. You know who that guy is? A.K.A. Soli. He was the pilot that landed a U.S. Airways flight 1549 into the Hudson River. And you know what? He never thought the day would come when his career would hang in the span of 208 seconds. What he did with that little bit of time, his entire career hung in the balance on. And he had some advice for his fellow pilots, and he said this to them. One of the things I encourage other pilots to think about is that out of a 43-year career, my entire life is being judged on the basis of those 3 minutes and 28 seconds. That equivalents out to 200, 208 seconds, if you're wondering. We never know which flight will test us, so here's the advice. It's incumbent on each of us to be vigilant and avoid complacency. It's incumbent on each of us to be vigilant and avoid complacency. I had gotten to a point late in my career when I thought that test would never happen to me. I was wrong. I was wrong. This is a man that pilots a plane every day of his life, and he became complacent in his piloting, and he said, man, did I almost miss it. Jesus would say to you and I the very same thing. Don't get complacent in your walk. Don't get complacent in your ministering to those people around you. Uh, the Bible reminds us, don't grow weary in doing good because it's possible to do it. Don't be complacent with your walk with the Lord. Don't just read your Bible out of duty because it won't prepare you for the day that's ahead of you. But if you read it out of devotion and you're looking for what God would have for you in there, you will have what you need in the moment. Now, the Word of God never returns void. If it's in you, it will come out of you somehow. But be intentional is really the idea. Be intentional about the, the, the whatever vapor, whatever time that might be, 72 years, 75 years, whatever. If you're lucky, by the way, if you're lucky to be the average human being, to make it the 70-some years that you live. Many people don't. But make your focus about eternity because Jesus said it's coming. 
It's coming for all of us. You can't avoid it. So it's incumbent on each of us to be vigilant and avoid complacency. There is no better illustration of that in the Bible than I think in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I don't think it gets any clearer in the Bible than this. Where we find Jesus giving us an eclipse, a glimpse into eternity, it's known as the story, the parable, some call it the rich man and Lazarus. Some call it the account of the rich man and Lazarus. What's the difference? A parable is a story. It's an earthly story that has a heavenly principle applied to it. An account is an actual event that happened. Something that really happened. There is a quandary when we come to this passage in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Is this a parable? Are you just telling us a story, Jesus? Or did this really happen? Did this really happen? Regardless of how you look at this passage, if you look at it as a parable, or if you look at it as a real-life event, the reality is this. Everything that Jesus said in a parable was true. It existed. When he talked about a sower sowing seed in a field, seed was real. The field was real. The road that went alongside the, you know, when he talked about the gravel and the hard roads and the, and the you know, the different elements of the soil. That was all real. He was illustrating something. Every element of what he talked about was real. And so what I don't want us to get caught up in is how we approach the passage as it was written, whether it was a parable or whether it was a real event. What we need to know is this is a real thing, regardless that Jesus is trying to speak to us about. He's speaking to us about something very real here, eternity. And he's telling us that there is a place of torment and that there is a place of comfort. And it, and it all relates to what you do on this earth. What you do in this life translates into all of eternity. That's what he wants to talk to us about this morning. And he begins to illustrate this by using two men. And he begins with their earthly story. Look with me. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Where it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. Jesus is describing for us this first man clothed in purple. Many uh, theologians or whatnot call, call this a prisophony, the pre-earthly appearance of the late musician Prince. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because he was in purple, you know, I think the book of Enoch says something about him riding in a little red Corvette in purple rain or something. But um, people who wore purple in fine linen in this culture would be saying, hey, I'm rich. They would be walking around, they would be parading through the town saying, hey, I'm rich, I have a lot of money. Because the purple dye used to dye those clothes was very expensive. Uh, the linens that are being spoken of here are fine linens, imported linens, really expensive stuff. This would be like some dude rolling up in a, you know, I, I mean a Versa for. I can't even say these, Versace suit and a Rolex watch with a, you know, a Louis Vuitton, you know, man bag or something like that, rolling up like that. And you're like, wow, th those things right there, they are not clothes and accessories, right? Those are, that's about status, isn't it? Isn't that really what it's about? We, we want to have these brands because these brands define the status of where we are in life, right? So if we don't have this kind of jeans or we don't have this kind of shirt, we don't wear these kind of shoes, then 
that says something to everybody else around us, right? That's the way our culture works. Whether you like it or not, it is what it is. It's, it's, nothing's changed. Nothing new, is new under the sun, is it? Purple and fine linen were to say to everyone, hey, I'm super rich. Look at me. This guy could get anything he wanted. And not only in his clothing, but it says that he ate sumptuously. He, he ate in luxury. Like luxuriously, whatever he wanted. And that day he'd just be like, man, I really want some plums from Egypt. Go get them. The guy might come back next year, but you know, whatever. They didn't have uh, um, Uber delivery for food or anything like that. So you were kind of out of luck when it came to that. But this guy could buy whatever he wanted. He ate sumptuously. It didn't, whatever craving he had, he could have. Because he had the ability to pay for these things. This man enjoyed the finer things in life. That was his earthly story. His earthly story was, wow, that guy really amounted to something because he had a lot of stuff here. And yet, the reality is what we will see is his life amounted to nothing. I have a friend, and you have a friend that goes to this church, Dan Moreshi, and one of the things, the most profound things that he's said to me in the year and a half that he's been a believer, I don't want to have a wasted life. I don't want to have a wasted life. Don't chase the things of the world and you won't have a wasted life. This man chased the world and he had everything that he wanted as it related to the world. But the one most important thing that he needed, he didn't have. And we'll see what that translates for him. We go on here and it tells us that there was another man. And this is his earthly story. He lived at this rich man's gate. He was very poor. His name was Lazarus. By the way... This is the only parable, if this was a parable, it's the only parable where Jesus actually names somebody. That he actually put somebody's name into that. La La Lazarus means literally helped by God. I, I believe this is a real person. He was covered with, stores, with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came to lick his sores. This man had a completely different earthly experience than the rich man, didn't he? He had one of those experiences that we would, none of us really want to have. He was super poor. He was a beggar that laid at the gate of the rich man's palace. You know what? Literally, when people, one day he was walking down the street, he was kicking a can, and somebody said, hey, Lazarus, what are you doing? And he said, I'm moving. You know, he had nothing. It was a joke, but you missed it. Are you guys awake? No. He had nothing. He had no material thing whatsoever. He had nothing. He was so poor that the guy sat at the gate of this rich man just hoping to eat the crumbs that would fall from his table. What that meant was back in this day when they would, uh, the rich people would eat, they would use bread to wipe their hands. They would take the bread because they ate sop, you know, different soups and different things. They'd dip their their hands and that kind of stuff, and so their hands would be soiled, so they would take this bread and they would wipe their hands with it, and they would throw it on the ground, and then the dogs would come and eat it. This guy was like, man, if I could just get some of that hand-soiled, sopped bread in my stomach, that would be awesome. I mean, he's not looking for Subway, he's looking to like go through the trash at Subway to get the bread out so he could fill his stomach with it. This is how, how uh, the level of poverty this man is living. Not only that, but he has sores all over his body. So not only is he dealing with the fact that he is poor, but he's also unhealthy. 
He has sores all over his body. This guy can't even afford to go to a doctor, so he allows the dogs to clean his wounds. Right? He, 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 he's in agony and pain, hungry. He has nothing. This man essentially was seen by society as someone fit for hell. The Pharisees would walk by a person like this and say, they're cursed. They would look at the rich man and they would say, that guy's going to heaven. That was the theology of their day. This is why Jesus is talking about this right here. Because he's addressing the Pharisees and their false theology. He's telling them what you think is not true. The appearance of godliness is not found in riches. Like God blesses, yes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have material things. He could do it that way. And if he does, then that just gives you all the more to do more for him, right? Because it's all his. But, but if he doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're damned. Even the disciples fell into that, remember? Jesus was going to heal this guy, and, and they see this crippled guy laying on the side of the road, and they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, who sinned, him or his mom or dad? That was the theology of the day. Like, they thought God was cursing people, and you could see the curse on them by the way that, by the way that they were, you know, whether it was poor or, you know, diseased, or whatever the case might be. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the case. It's not the case at all. You guys are missing the entire point. The law was never a means of salvation. You know, the Pharisees thought because they, they, they followed the law, they would be rich, and that was the sign that they were following God. Jesus blew that thing out of the water and said, the only way, and we'll see here, the only way that a person can be saved is by faith. It has nothing to do with what you have or what you don't have. This man's earthly story was one of anguish and suffering. Both of these men's earthly stories painted an eternal picture that blew the, the theology of the Pharisees out of the water again. Jesus goes on and he reveals to us the eternal story of these two men. Now look with me at verse 22. He said, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, being in torment. What is common in those verses there? Do you notice that regardless if you were rich or poor, that you both died? Like that's the commonality of the passage. It doesn't matter who you are, you have a date. And you have a date with death, and that, date will not, that day will not pass you by. You will die one day. Doesn't matter what you have. You can have all the money in the world and pay all the greatest doctors in the world and all that kind of stuff. You will still die. You can have nothing, and, and you know, even if you had everything, you couldn't keep yourself alive because we have a date with death. It's part of the curse. Both of these men found themselves dead. No doubt the poor man's body was just thrown onto uh, you know, the, the, uh, the fire that where they burned the trash. Jesus called it Gehenna. It's where they would take the poor bodies of the people that couldn't be afforded to be buried. They just throw them on that and just burn them. Because they didn't have, they're not going to pay for somebody in, in poverty to be buried. And so they would just throw them on the fire and burn their bodies. But the rich man, oh, you know, no doubt he had an incredible funeral. They, did, they spared no expense with him. And yet none of that matters. None of that matters. Jesus tells us what the reality of these earthly men's lives amounted to. 
Before we really get into that, I want to just explain a couple terms to you so that you have these straight in your mind because I'm going to throw out a bunch of scriptures and it's going to take you on your own personal investigation of these things, so make sure that you write them down. But I just have to explain a couple terms so that we don't get hung up as we work through this passage. First and foremost, the term Hades in the New Testament is also the very same term in the Old Testament called Sheol. Sheol, and that means just a place of the dead. That's just the general term for where dead people go. All dead people go to that place, pre-Christ, right? All, people, all dead people before Jesus Christ rose again from the dead went to Sheol. When David was crying out in Psalm 16, don't corrupt my body in Sheol. He was talking about don't leave me in corruption in the place of the dead, okay? So that encompasses this big idea of the place where people, where dead people go. But what we find in our passage here is a place called, uh, this, this, this man, this poor man was delivered to a place called Abraham's side. That word side in the Greek is bosom. So maybe you've heard that term before, Abraham's bosom. You know, back in this day, it was a term of endearment for people, for even guys to lay on guys' chests. You know, it was like, I, I love you. I welcome you. It's a sign of intimacy. John the Apostle did it with Jesus a lot. You know, that's why you see like pictures of the depiction of the Last Supper with John laying on the, on the breast of Jesus. It's a term of endearment, inviting. But it was also a place because Abraham was the father of every one of us, right? The father of many nations. He is the father, literally, of faith. So it was Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was apparently the place where those who were looking to Christ, those who were looking for the Messiah prior to his earthly appearance and death and resurrection would go and wait for Messiah to come. It was their faith that took them there. It's where the, all the Old Testament saints would go. So it, it, there was another place that we find here in Hades that was a place of torment. It's really not named. It says he was in Hades and he was in torment. So there apparently is two different caveat or different components of Hades. There is Abraham's bosom where people by faith go and they stayed there prior to Christ's coming. And then you have those who are awaiting the judgment in this place of torment. It is not hell. It is not Gehenna. That is a different place. This place is just a place of torment. Hell or Gehenna is also defined in the Bible as the lake of fire. One day, death and Hades themselves will be cast into the lake of fire. Are you following me with, on this? So we got Hades as the place of death. Abraham's bosom is where the, the, the saved people go that are waiting for Jesus to come. And then the people, the unbelievers would go to this place of torment, which was not hell, but a holding place for the final judgment. And so... Um, as we go through this, we, we, we want to get a glimpse of, of all of this. Jesus, again, his whole point in bringing this up is to correct the erroneous teaching of the Pharisees as it relates to their earthly understanding of eternity. That's what he wants them to get a glimpse of. He begins by telling us the eternal story now of this poor man that he died, and, that's, and he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. In Jewish culture, that would have meant that he went to heaven. That's what it meant. So they, everybody would get that. Okay, he went to heaven. It's not heaven, but again, it was a temporary place where those who in the Old Testament, were, you know, you might have that question. Where did the Old Testament saints go? They went to Abraham's bosom where they waited for Jesus. Jesus himself referred to Abraham's bosom as paradise. Remember the thief on the cross? He, he said to Jesus in Luke 23, 42 through 43, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom 
And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Where was that? That was Abraham's bosom. That's where people of faith went before the resurrection. They went to paradise or Abraham's bosom. It was a place of peace. It tells us even in here, it's a place of comfort. It was a place of love, eternal bliss. This, this is the eternal story of this poor man. He went there. He was carried there by angels, which, by the way, if you're afraid to die, I find great comfort in this because I'm not drawing this as a parable. I believe this was an event, and I look at it like in the moment of our death, the Lord himself will be there to transition us, and he will guide us with his hand, with his angels, or however, you know, we see Stephen when he was dying, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, whatever the case is. I believe that when we're in, we're in the midst of going between two different realms from earthly realm to the eternal realm, that the Lord will be the one to transition us. And I find great comfort in the fact that it was angels that carried him there. And so uh, Jesus tells us that this earthly man, this poor man's earthly story was one that caused him to get him to uh, Abraham's bosom. How did he get there? How did he get there? He didn't have anything. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to have anything earthly. It was by faith. It was by faith. Abraham's bosom was, was only available to those people who were looking for the Messiah to come by faith. Never the law. Never once has it been salvation by the law. Salvation by the law. It, the law was meant to point us to Jesus that we might believe in him. And again, as I said last week, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at all everything that surrounds the tabernacle, the law, everything, it all points us to Jesus. It'll all point us to Jesus. The Old Testament saints were all looking for Jesus to come. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. It says this. These, speaking of the Old Testament saints, all died in faith. Not in their adherence to the law, not in their ability to take sacrifices to the temple. They all died in faith, having received, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off. What is that talking about? This is talking about the Old Testament saints that died in faith that were looking forward to the promise, which was Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. That is what delivered them to this place of Abraham's bosom. They didn't receive the promise in terms of, they didn't see the Messiah come, but they placed their faith in him knowing that he was coming one day. And so, uh, you know, they were saved essentially the exact same way you and I are saved, except for the differences. They were looking forward to his coming. We are looking backward. Isn't that kind of cool? The Lord says, it doesn't matter what era you live in. You come to me by faith. And in your belief in my word, in my prophetic word, that's how you're saved, if you believe in me. And so this man was saved by faith, and he was delivered into Abraham's bosom. The, the, the tables turned for this poor man, completely changed. He was now rich. His portfolio was full of eternal blessings. He was no longer in pain and anguish, but now in comfort and peace. He was set up for all of eternity. But this other man, the rich man, his eternal faith is altogether different. Jesus says the rich man died as well, and he was buried, and then he went to, a, to the place in Hades where it was a place of torments. Place of torments. 
Again, no, all of us will stand in judgment of all that we do before the Lord. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you will stand accountable for all of your sin. If you believe in Jesus, you're not accountable to that because he paid for that on the cross. These people are awaiting the judgment of God and they're in torment then. And you know what's interesting in the story is you don't hear the guy going, well, I don't believe in hell. You don't hear him saying, well, this isn't fair. In fact, what you hear him saying is, help me tell my brothers about this. You don't hear him saying, this isn't a real place. I don't like the idea of that. I don't think that I deserve that eternal judgment, man. What kind of a God would do that? None of that is in this passage. What is in this passage is a man that really understands his sin before the Lord and recognizing that he is justly put there. And the reality is that there's nothing he can do about it. That's what we see here. And that's why Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody. Because he doesn't want anybody to go there. It's a choice you make. The Lord has revealed himself. And he continues to reveal himself. This rich man was too caught up in his own life. Too caught up in the, the riches that he had. The money was his God. That's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter. Uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because you have no need. Or perception is that you have no need. The reality is you have great need. There is a debt accumulating in heaven that you can't pay for, that only Jesus can pay for. This man went to that place of torment awaiting final judgment, which Jesus calls the second death in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. It says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up dead, the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is hell. And notice, death and Hades are both thrown into it after the judgment. That's the outer darkness that Jesus talks about where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What I want you to understand here is it, it's said here that they were judged by what they had done. You and I, when we stand before the Lord as believers, we're not judged by what we've done. Thank goodness. We're judged by who we know. And we know Jesus, and therefore there is no judgment for us. The only thing that we will receive in heaven are rewards for what we do with our life post-Christ. Post-coming and believing in, in Jesus and what he's done for us. That is the, the only kind of, you know, if you want to call it judgment, as we stand before the Lord, that we will receive as believers. But unbelievers will stand before God and they will give account for everything that they've done. Everything. This man, this rich man, went to this temporary place of torment until this final judgment would come. To those hearing Jesus' words here, they must have been thinking, but he was rich. He was blessed by God. He was a shoe in for heaven. Nobody is a shoe into heaven. No one is a shoe in for heaven. You get there only one way, and that's by faith in the Son of God. 
This man had no faith in the coming Savior, and therefore he had no salvation. This rich man didn't invest in his future. He used his wealth and resources for himself, and look what it got him, nothing. It got him damnation. Jesus further describes for us here Hades. As we look at verse 23 there, it says, this, this rich man, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. What I want to focus on is not necessarily the idea that this man can see, that, that, that he could see Abraham and Lazarus because frankly, I don't understand that. I can't explain that. But what I do know, and what is more important, is the conscious torment and agony that this rich man is experiencing. The idea that he is there and he understands the torment and the agony and he, that, it, that he's feeling. And he is looking for any kind of comfort that he can get. For those who believe in soul sleep, the people like the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, or those people who believe in purgatory that, you know, there's a place that we can go and we can kind of work it out and maybe get right with God and then come back. None of that is true. There is no soul sleep. You don't just cease to exist when you die. You go to one of two places. Because Jesus has come for those who believe in him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We go to be with him. But for those of who, who unbelieve, they still go to the same place that this rich man is at this place of torment, until the final judgment comes. There is no purgatory. There is no way to work out. There is no uh, you know, reincarnation. There is none of that. That is deception from the devil and, and man believing the lie and spreading a lie. We have one choice and we have one life to make that choice. And Jesus says, the choice that you make will... will be sealed in all of, for all of eternity. This man is in utter agony. He's begging Abraham to send Lazarus to serve him. What I think is interesting is that he's asking Abraham to have the poor man Lazarus serve him from hell or, or from, from the place of torment. It's as if he doesn't really get it yet. Like, wait, you, you, he should serve me. It's almost as if he's prideful in this moment where he's, he, he's saying, no, send Lazarus because he's a servant. To come serve me because you and I, Abraham, are kind of on the same. You're not. You're not. Abraham was a rich man too. But he's asking Abraham. He's looking to Abraham, the father of faith. And he's saying, could you send him over to help me? Because this is not figurative anguish. This is literal, little, literal anguish. This is literal fire that he's looking to be comforted from. This is defining for us that this is a real place. It is a literal place. And that it exists even today. And let me just say this, that you know what? The majority of people that are there are religious. You realize that? Like these aren't the pagans. The majority of people in our culture today would claim some sort of religion. 80% of Americans say that they're Christians, right? I promise you a large majority of those people will find themselves in this place of torment because they don't have a relationship with Jesus because that's what matters. You know, there is not multiple ways to God. There is one way to God, the Bible tells us, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, so 
There will be Hindus in this place of torment. There will be Muslims in this place of torment. There will be, you know, Buddhists in this place of torment. The majority of people in the world are religious. They believe in something. But let's not just talk about the false gods. Let's talk about the people that sit in the church who think they're saved and they're not saved because there will be Baptists in this place. There will be Methodists in this place. There will be Catholics in this place. There will be any kind of non-denominational people. There will be people that go to Calvary Chapel that will find themselves in this place because they didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about going to church. It's not about having the right theology. It's about knowing Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with Him. That's what it's about. And that is the only way that you can be delivered from this. The Lord is warning us here that there is a real place of torment. And He doesn't want you to go there. This rich man is demonstrating to us the agony that, that, that is there present with him. And he is crying out to Abraham for help because he is experiencing real pain and anguish. Look at Abraham's response in verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us... And you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass here, from here to you might not be able and none may cross from there to us. Abraham told this man, you had a chance to make a difference with what you had in the world and you didn't. You had a chance. If you would have come to faith, you would have believed in the, in the, in the promises of the coming Messiah that would have turned your mentality around. You could have used all that you had and invested wisely in the future and you would have been into an exalted place in, this, in, in Abraham's bosom or in paradise. But you didn't. You didn't do that. And therefore, you face the consequences of that. This guy... This guy's wealth produced a false, a false sense of security and it deceived him into thinking that he had something that he didn't. And I would say that there are people in our world today that are, are deceived by the same guys. Something, some false impression, some false security that if I go to church, I'm going to be saved. If I read my Bible, I'm going to be saved. Or, you know, if I witness to people, I'm going to be saved. That all, you know, some external work, if I just do the law, you know, then I'm going to be saved. None of that can save you. And, and, and I tell you, there are people that sit in our, pu- in, our, in our churches today that hear this message over and over again. And in, the, in Middle Tennessee, I think there's people all around us that are like that. That's why your job is so hard. Because in Tennessee, we've got to get people unsaved before we can get them saved. We have to have, we, people have to realize that they are not saved. That they, that, that, you know, and we're not the judge of that. But the reality is, when you, if, you can, if you can get, and I say if you can get beyond surface level with people, and you can ask them what they really believe, you'll find very quickly that many people in our culture, in our area right here in Tennessee, are a Christian because their grandpa was a pastor, or a Christian because you know, they've been going to church all their life. You never ever hear a true profession of faith, a conversion. You never hear about a change, even if, it, even if it's... Uh, you know, slight. Well, I've been going to church all my life, but when Jesus, when you have a collision with Jesus, you change. Like, I don't care how much you know or how long you've been going to church. When you come to Christ, your life radically changes. There's a passion in you. There's a desire in you to make him known and to know him more, right? 
And yet there are people in our culture that just are walking blindly to hell because their grandpa was a pastor or whatever. And you know, the Lord has, I, I mean, I believe firmly that's why God is moving people to Tennessee that have no idea why they've moved here to Tennessee. And I know that I, many of you are in that category of, I don't know why I'm here, but the Lord moved me here. And I believe it's because there are people here that he cares about, that he loves, that he's sending genuine believers into this place to shake up the nest a little bit and help people see that going to church won't save you. You know, being part of a, being a member of the Baptist church don't save you. You know, I was talking to a lady the other day that was, um, that was doing a test on me and up in Nashville, and I said, so, I, you know, I was, I was talking to her a little bit about her life, and it's not a coincidence, you know, no matter where you go, God puts you there. And so you've you, you, you got to think that way. Eternity is in the balance always. So I start talking to this girl about the Lord, and I ask her, so, you know, tell me about, you know, you were raised in Tennessee, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And she said, well, I mean, you know, my, my parents, are, well, I'm a member, and she just did, she just froze. Well, but, uh, but, well, and then she started talking about her parents' membership at a Baptist church. And I said, oh, that's cool, but what about you? What about, what about you? And it's not really about membership at church. What about you and Jesus? How are you and Jesus doing? You know, it takes literally 10 seconds to get beyond that, right? Literally, when you just say, that's great, and I love to hear that, but what about Jesus and you? How's your relationship with him? And you can see very quickly whether they're really walking strong with him or they're convicted by that or whether, you know, that... Sometimes people are just nervous and they don't know how to express themselves. And, you know, but, but I would say most of the time, the reality is, is that they don't either... They either don't have what they think they have or they're or babies and they need some discipleship, right? So I talked to this girl. I said, hey, why don't you come to church, man? Why don't you come check us out sometime? And, and if you don't, there's plenty of churches around here. But the reality is, it's not, going to, it's not about going to church. It's about knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ. These are love letters, man. This is not some book of the law. These are love letters to you and I. And I hope you read them like that. I hope you, get, you know, if you know, your dad or your mom wrote you letters before they died, you probably read them a little bit differently than you would when they were here. Well, God Himself sent His Son and He did die. And he sent you these letters that you might read them. These are his words to you. This is a father's letters to his sons and daughters. And you need to look at it that way. This is not some strict adherence of, of rules and regulations. This is a father's wisdom to his sons and daughters. This man here didn't invest in the right things and he pays for it eternally. He's crying out for help, but notice Abraham can't help him. Abraham says, your decision is made. I can't do anything about that. Nobody can. This shows the permanency of the decision here. Just real quickly, th this chasm being spoken of here, I believe is the bottomless pit. I believe it's spoken of, and you can write this down, Revelation 9, Revelation 11, Revelation 17, Revelation 20 where it talks about the bottomless pit and this chasm between, you know, this place of torment in Abraham's bosom. It's, it, it's that, that, that bottomless pit area is where you remember in Genesis chapter 6 where the sons of God 
those fallen angels had come and known the, 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 the daughters of man, where fallen angels slept with women. Of, uh, and, and, and the reason they did that, here's what's interesting is, the reason they did that is because the devil knew the plan of God from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he said, the seed of the woman would, would come and wipe you out. He would crush you. You might, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush you. That was speaking about Jesus, right? Through the seed of the woman. The, the sons of God, these fallen angels come and infect the, the, uh, and corrupt the DNA of women so that they can try and thwart the plan of God. Isn't that brilliant? No, it's not because it didn't work. Because the Lord's smarter than that. And that's why it was, it was Herod and the devil uh, inspired by the devil to kill all children at two years and, and younger when he heard that the Messiah had come through the Magi, right? Because he understood God has a plan. And it's through a woman and it's through a child. And he tried to, to stop both and he missed both of them. There's victory in Jesus always. He always wins. And if you're in a place in your life today where you're not winning, it's because you're not surrendered to him. You surrender it to him and you have victory in him. You just walk in that victory. You don't have to struggle that way. It doesn't mean, and I think that again, I, painting the picture of victory doesn't mean that it's all easy and you're like, hey, I'm in victory. You know, No, the reality is it might be hard and it will be hard, but you can overcome because he's overcome. Jesus also, I believe, went to this bottomless pit and uh, he went to Hades. It says in 1 Peter 3.19, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience awaited in the days of Noah. Speaking about this time period, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. When Jesus died, he went to Hades and he preached. He didn't go to, the, I, I don't believe he went to the place of torment. I believe that he went to the bottomless pit and I believe that he went there when it says he preached. He didn't preach the good news. The word preach means to proclaim. And what he proclaimed was the judgment of God, that victory was his, that he won. No matter what the devil tried to do, tried to thwart God's plan, it didn't work, that he won. And so you can look these up later and check them out for yourself. But also this place is... Um, this, this bottomless pit is, is uh, referenced by those demons in Gadara where Jesus shows up and there's the, the demonic man that has legions, you know, thousands of angels in him or fallen angels, demons in him. And he's, they say, don't cast us into the abyss. Remember Luke chapter 8, verse 31, same place. This is, uh, this is separating Abraham's bosom from uh, this, this place of torment. And, and Abraham tells this guy, there's nothing that I can do to help you. There's nothing I can do. And so this guy comes to a place where he recognizes, I get it. I made my choices. So he turns to those whom he loves, whom are alive now. And he says, well, then I beg you to send them to my father's house because I have brothers and I want them to know. And if you would just send Lazarus to them, he, they know who he is. And if he would just pop out of the ground and walk into town and say, hey, guys, remember me? They would repent. Because that is the only way to come to the Lord. It's repentance. It's acknowledgement of your sin and re recognition of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to pay for that sin. My brothers will repent. And Abraham said, man, you know what? They've been given everything they need. They have Moses. They have the law. And they have the prophets. They have what they need. The, the, he was 
referencing the entire Old Testament there. They have the entire Old Testament that speaks about me coming, about the Jesus coming. They, they don't need anything else. And I promise you that even though that were to happen, they wouldn't believe. And that is true. Because remember at Jesus' uh, crucifixion, when he died, that the Bible tells us that there was an earthquake and the veil had torn. But check this out. It also tells us this in Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53. The tombs were also open. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. In verse 53, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Who? Who is that speaking of? Old Testament renown, men of renown that literally popped out of the grave and walked into the holy city and said, remember me? I was dead, but now I've been made alive. Was, do, you, do you read about a great conversion story there? After the, these dead people popped in there? No, you don't read about a conversion story because that won't, you know, what we see won't push us to, to come to faith in Jesus. You know, we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. It will always require faith because man will always try and explain that away. Well, obviously they weren't dead, so that's why they're here. Or somebody was hiding them, just like the resurrection of Jesus, all of that. So man would always find a way to explain away the miracles of God. It can only come by faith is what Abraham is telling him. Your belief in me only comes by faith. You have to choose or not to choose, but whatever you do, you're sealed with for all of eternity. Jesus is giving us a glimpse today into eternity. You have time today to make a choice. Not tomorrow, today. You have time this moment to decide that I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to do everything that I can do to make him famous in this world. If you're a believer, you have time this moment to share the gospel. Because when you leave this world, you will never share the gospel again. It's the one thing we will never do in heaven is tell people about Jesus. Hey, can I tell you? Nope, I already know him. You know, Jan Mayberry is going to be out of place in heaven. He's about, but I want to tell you about Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. I love that kid, and he is so compassionate to tell the Lord, and I wish that I would do that like him. And, and, and that's what Jesus is telling us here. Be intentional about eternity. Be intentional about what God is doing. You're not going to walk perfectly. You know, don't get hung up in all that. Tell people about Jesus and what he's done in your life, and be in love with him. And let his word transform your life. And you know what? When you fall down, pick yourself back up and keep walking. The gospel is being worked out in our lives daily. And you know what? We're not perfect here, but we will be one day. And when we stand before him, we will be transformed. But until then, we're a work in progress. Don't let that hinder you. Don't let what you know about the Bible hinder you. I'm not a theologian. Look what I'm doing. Don't be afraid to tell people about, what, about your story. We all have a story. Don't be afraid to tell it. The reality is we all have two stories. We all have an earthly story. And then that story will tell another story for all of eternity. So Jesus is encouraging us today. Stand for me today. If you don't know Jesus, you need to put your faith in him today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow either. I want to close with some wise words from the great theologian Apollo Creed from Rocky III. 
Rocky Balboa is getting ready to face this vicious clubber lane. And they were sparring, and, and he said this. He said, come on, Rock. It's not a game. This guy will kill you. And to that, Rocky replies, yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And he said, there is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. And that is the reality for us. We have this moment. We have right now. It is before you. What will you do with it? Listen, what you do with it translates into eternity. So live well. Invest in, in heaven. Invest in eternity. And make a difference while you're here. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the glimpse that we have into eternity here, Lord. And the reality that there is a place of paradise. There is a comfort. There is a, a peace. And we know that that's with Jesus now today because he's died and rose, risen again from the dead. And your word tells us that he led captivity captive. He took all of those people from Abraham's bosom and he, he, he took them and ascended them with, to heaven with him. But there is those that still remain in that place of torment because they rejected you, Lord. They rejected your word and the promises found in it of both the Messiah coming and of the judgment of those who don't submit to you. And Father, I pray for every person in this place today. You know where they are. You know what they need to hear. And I just pray by your spirit, God, that you would just lead those who don't know you into a relationship with you even right now. You sent your, your son for them, God. You sent Jesus to die on a cross that they might, by faith, repent of their sin and turn to you. And that's your desire for them, Lord. That's your will. You love them right where they are. And if that's you this morning and you need a relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, hey, that's me. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to invest into eternity. Because the reality is, is that if you don't do that, then you will stand in judgment before the Lord of your sin. <coughs> Jesus came to take away that sin. And your simple faith in him this morning will not just cover that sin, it will remove it and make you brand new. So if there's anyone here in this place today that is unsure of their faith in the Lord or they want to commit themselves to Jesus, just raise your hand and we'll pray a prayer with you. Is there anybody here this morning that needs a relationship with Jesus? It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And it is the, the only decision that will get you on the right side of eternity. I'll just ask one more time, if there's anyone here that needs a relationship with Jesus, that you raise your hand, and I'll lead you in a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for every person here, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would fill us with faith and, and boldness to share the gospel with those around us, God, and that we wouldn't continue, we wouldn't, if we have been, Lord, that we wouldn't continue to mess around in the world and think that we have time and and we're investing in the earthly things and not the eternal things. But Lord, help us today to make a stand in our own lives to say, hey, Lord, my finances, they're, they're yours anyway. I'm committing them to you. And I want to invest in eternity. Will you guide me and help me do that? My time, Lord, you know I only have limited time, but my time is yours, and I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. Father, my talents, all that you've given me, I lay them at your feet. 
And Lord, I want to be used by you. And so I pray that over every person in this place today, that they just continue to invest in eternity, and if they're not, that they turn today, and that they, they just ask you to give them wisdom as it relates to that. So Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask you by your spirit to continue to move in us and draw us to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.